Hi, I'm Madonna. I'm your worst nightmare. To rule the world. Why don't you show them what you do, honey? You've never had more fun with anyone else. People, people, we gotta move on to the next song. Right? Somewhere I'm sweet between. and I'm a bitch, you know what I mean? And that's always been the way it is. I'm, I'm a human being. <laughs> I'm waiting. You're listening to MLVC, the Madonna podcast, your place for all things Madonna, Louise, Veronica, Ciccone. Welcome, everybody. I'm Stefan, your fellow unapologetic bitch, here as usual with my co-host, Tony. Hey, guys, it's Tony. Um, What if at a key moment in the game, my uniform bursts open and, oops, my bosoms come out? I mean, that might draw a crowd, right? (laughs) Oh, all the way, May. Um, Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the MLVC Podcast. We are very pleased to welcome uh, our special guest today on the program, Abdi Nazimian. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everybody. Hi, Abdi. Welcome. It's so exciting to have you on the show. So good to be here. Did I pronounce your name right, Abdi? Yes, I got it right. You did. Yeah, you're... Yes. Very good. Just like to, I, very good. Abdi. I hope I I hope you guys are aware that one of Madonna's children's books is called The Adventures of Abdi. Oh, oh case, yes, duly know. noted. In oh, yes, case that, and in fact, I think it was written for you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a theory that uh, it was inspired by me, since I was friends with some people in the Madonna camp at the time, and I have an autograph written to me from Madonna right around the time she was writing those children's books. Oh, I, I have, that's I have totally what it evidence, was. and the little boy looks a lot like me. Let's be honest. Mm. <laughs> See, I always thought she came up with that name because she was into like doing a lot of ab crunches, but you know that's just me. <laughs> well, I like your theory better. Yeah, I think my, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, everyone listening, uh, just so you know, Abdi is an author, screenwriter, and producer whose debut novel, *The Walking Closet*, won the Lambda Literary Award for debut fiction. His latest book, Like a Love Story, was published back in June of 2019, just last year, and was chosen as the best book of the year by Entertainment Weekly, BuzzFeed, Audible, and Yalsa. Just just a couple different places, you know. (laughs) Um, He's also served as executive producer on numerous films, including one of my all-time favorites, Call Me By Your Name. Um, That's right. I've, I've, I've checked some of the boxes on your illustrious career, right, Abdi? You've checked a few, yes. Very good. Very good. Uh, and so, I mean, there's a lot of intersections we can sort of bounce around with. I mean, there's, there's Madame X, there's, uh, we're definitely going to do a deep dive on like a love story. Um, but I sort of want to know, how did you become a Madonna fan? What, where did your Madonna journey start? Uh, my Madonna journey started in Toronto, which is where I was living at the age of seven. And, uh, I saw the lucky star video on much music. And uh, I completely freaked out. I think before that, I was obsessed with Olivia Newton-John. And overnight, I forgot who she was. <laughs> and um, Poor Olivia. And, no. uh, poor Olivia. I know. I mean, still still a classic. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what happened. It was like something about Madonna communicated to a very deep part of my soul. And I, I just became really obsessed. I mean, I made my parents take me to the Virgin Tour when I was eight years old. Uh, Did you see that in Toronto? I saw that in Toronto with the Beastie Boys opening and my Iranian parents wondering what the hell they were doing there. That must have been before Uh, Toronto was decreed uh, the fascist state of Toronto, correct? Yes, this is obviously pre-Blonde Ambition. Um, (laughs) And I mean, I, I don't... 
I, this is something I talk about quite a bit in my book, actually, because my book is about a you know a mm-hmm. group of teenagers, two two of whom are gay, and Madonna is a big figure in their lives in the late '80s and early '90s, and it's kind of like. I want to understand that mysterious thing that happens, particularly for a lot of young gay kids. Like when I was seven, I didn't even know what being gay was. I was very mm-hmm. sheltered. I was Middle Eastern. But it's like, what about someone like Madonna made me feel empowered and made me feel seen um, is very interesting to me. But yeah, that was it. I was I was on the journey and I never let go. The obsession has never uh, <laughs> abated. I'm so jealous you got to see... Uh, the virgin tour like i that was i came to madonna after who's that who's that girl tour had wrapped and we're around i guess the around the time that maybe who's that girl had just come out the movie okay. and the tour but sure. i was i wasn't like i guess i just wasn't aware that she was like singing in stadiums that you could go visit. yeah did so you see I, who's that girl or no no i have a vintage who's that girl t-shirt that slightly oh. fits me. Um, it's a bit of a crop top, but um, I'll, st- I'll still squeeze myself into it because it's, sure, it's vintage. as you should. Yes. I did go see the Who's That Girl tour at the Astrodome in Houston, Texas. And, and oh, I was wow. so far away, so far up that she was literally a dot. But I mean, all she did was run back and forth on that, uh, right. on that the little treadmill. treadmill. <laughs> but oh, I mean, it, it, it was, it was incredible because it, you know, at the time it was uh, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Prince and I saw Madonna, you know, and mm-hmm. it just felt like such an event. And you know, especially anything that happens in the Astrodome is going to be huge, or it got to be, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that, who's that girl? Is actually the only Madonna tour I have not seen. I've seen every single other show, including a lot of really little. I mean, I've mm-hmm. seen her. I went to SNL when she performed. Somehow, got myself in. I. Oh wait, you saw her do her legendary performance of Bad Girl. I did. I was 13 and somehow got, I mean, you know, I was a very uh, <laughs> precocious young man precocious. who loved Madonna. I, I got myself into a lot of stuff. When I heard she was on SNL, I'm like, how do I get myself in? Oh my God. So That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I can say I was yeah. as precocious as you were, but my uh, family was Catholic and that meant no Madonna. No. Well, I was also, <laughs> I, I was also living in New York at the time, I should say. So when mm-hmm. you're living in New York, you, you know, SNL That's is where it York. happens. There yeah. are ways. Yes. Yeah. It's fun to be able to see her in like this. I mean, like obviously the stadium shows, it's amazing to see yeah. her, but I love having been able to catch her at small moments. Like I went and saw her when she performed, don't tell me on David Letterman. And, right. Um, I'm sorry. You said you saw the Roxy, which Roxy performance? Was uh, that the? the ray of light when she okay, came yeah, out. I was, I was there too. Yeah. You and were there. Was, she touched my hand. She's staring in my eyes, yeah. singing I mean, in my face. It was I know. amazing. It was magic. And no, oh, and we yeah, hadn't yeah. heard the songs yet. Correct. Nobody, nobody was familiar with her, what was going to happen. And yeah, she came out, remember she so came out in that cape and she took the cape off and, oh, well, yeah. so I don't know where you were in the venue. Like literally my friend and I, we got there before they, we were like the 10th person to get in and we ran to the, the little catwalk that they had and stood for five hours and waited for wow. her to come out. And wow. you know, cause she didn't come out until two. And I, re- I remember. And, but no one actually believed she was going to be there. You know, it was all just a rumor at that point. And I know when she did, I don't, I just remember the push from the audience. Oh yeah. Everyone I, in the crowd wanted to be exactly where me and my friend were. Mm-hmm. And, we had to my, brace ourselves on the security gate to make sure we weren't getting crushed. 
Yes. My biggest memory of that night, other than the magic of Madonna, was that there was a drag <laughs> queen wearing this very, very high wig, almost like a Marie Antoinette type wig that was blocking people's view. And oh, hell people, no. Oh, people were so angry. I think by the end, I can't remember if she took the wig off or if people took it off for her, but it was, <laughs> it was something. Yeah. That, yeah. But yeah, little anyway. Madonna moments like that. I mean, you know, Roseland for the hard candy promo. I remember that. Oh, oh I, I was not there. But, uh, so, you know, like stuff like that is just, it's magical. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's to be in the same room as her is, is so powerful. And, you know, I, it's funny because I've never met her, but I've had a lot of, I've been in the same room as her many times. Yeah, um, same. I'm, I'm, you and I are, are unique you know, on this podcast, most people here have like, you know, had dinner with her and like, you know, babysat her kids, you Stop know, but <laughs> I've danced only, on stage I've danced with her. on stage with her and I had a five minute chat with her at Madame X. It's oh, just did that. you, yeah. wait, did you really? Yes. Yes. That's, that's pretty <laughs> the, incredible. The, the infamous tale of me and my friend, Sean, who got to talk to her as the beer bitch in Philadelphia. She, uh, as as our listeners have heard me say many times before, she was not very pleasant with us. Um, <laughs> but uh, that I attest that to the fact that the Philadelphia crowd were obnoxious and drunk and belligerent, and dis- they were truck drivers and well, disrespectful to Madonna, okay. and she was not happy. So, but that's okay. I think. I mean, as I always say about Madonna's relationship to her fans, I think it's a very consensual dom sub relationship. I mean, she mm-hmm. is. Um, <laughs> She'll hit you like a truck, you know. Yeah, we want. I mean, I, yeah, I don't want. Totally. I don't. Don't want, I don't need her to be pleasant. You know what I mean? That's not what I go to her for. I can get that from Celine Dion, you know. Exactly. exactly. Right. Kylie Minogue will treat you like yes. a little a lollipop. Yeah. Kylie, Kylie Minogue will call you a lover and Taylor mm-hmm. Swift will like pose with your cat. But you know, Madonna will slap you. Yeah, yeah exactly. She'll lovely. push you she'll push you down as she's getting exactly. up the stairs. Exactly. And exactly. we'll take it gladly and give her money on top of it. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, I was actually in the front row for Madame X, and I caught her guitar pick. That was oh, very nice. Fun. That nice. was very fun. And I've had, you know, I've had little run-ins with her. My aunt met her when. Wow. Yeah, I'll have to tell you that whole story. I don't know, but uh, it's it's that one's very special. There was a summer when I was on vacation where Madonna stopped with the Blonde Ambition tour. It was in my grandmother lived in France, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and Madonna's dancers were staying in our hotel. And we were, I was 13 years old. I was 13 years old. And I was literally in, they were in the rooms across from us. So it was, oh all, I mean, God. it was, it was the truth or dare dancers, you know, it was yeah. Jose and Luis and Nikki and Donna. And um, one day Madonna stopped into the hotel and a friend of mine banged on the door saying she was in the lobby. And of course, by the time I got there, she was on her way out. And I do have some magical photos of her that no one's ever seen from that day. But, um, oh, okay. So my friend, so I had a friend who was banging on my door saying Madonna's in the lobby. And by the time I got down to the lobby, she was already on her way out. And all wow. I managed to do is take some photos of her, but, um, which was pretty exciting. But the person she sat next to for her 30 seconds in the lobby was my aunt. <laughs> who, who obviously could have cared less about Madonna and who turned to her and asked, are you Madonna? That was her question. Oh, how funny. And, and Madonna turned to her and said, I wish I was Madonna. She's so beautiful and talented. and <laughs> She's a superstar. And then she put her sunglasses on and left. 
That's and, hysterical. You know, yeah. So that story has become like family legend. And <laughs> yeah, that is one of my many brushes with almost meeting Madonna through my life. <laughs> well, Abdi, since we are in that space and time, uh, give us your reflections and recollections of the Blonde Ambition Tour, which I know was like a huge uh, marker in your life. Yeah. I mean, for me, obviously I love Madonna from Lucky Star. So from the very beginning, but there's something very special about the kind of 1989, 90 years because I was 13, 14 at that time. And it was definitely the years where I was starting to understand that I was gay. Um, although I certainly wasn't anywhere near ready to come out. And as I'm sure you guys will remember, it was the height of the AIDS epidemic in the U S it was a time when for kids like me who were from relatively conservative homes, who weren't, you know, I didn't have access to out gay people or mm-hmm. any kind of celebratory depiction of gay pride. It was just all fear and all shame. And um, and so to have Madonna, who was kind of already a part of our home because I was such a big fan, to, <laughs> to have her suddenly being so overt in her depictions of gay sexuality, I mean, the Vogue video, Blonde Ambition Tour, Truth or Dare, I mean, those were really the first times that I saw depictions of gay men in the gay community that were positive and that were mm-hmm. celebratory and that told me it would be okay to be who I was. And, um, and also just the think fact that, just, Oh, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but yeah, just like think about the insert with the AIDS information in the like a prayer. Oh, uh, that, of course. that never yeah. happened from anyone that we looked up to back then. Anyone. And I, and I, it's, it's funny because obviously like a love story is a young adult novel, though many adults read it and love it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's primarily marketed to today's teens. And I feel like one of the things that's been such an honor is not only to tell them about, yeah about the AIDS epidemic, about ACT UP and the gay community, but also to, to tell them a little bit about, you know, the impact that artists can have. Cause I think people forget in this day and age where almost every pop star is, supportive of the gay community, they forget that in 1989, it really was only Madonna who was yeah. brave enough to speak out. And and people, I think it really angers me when people treat it as if it was some kind of callous career move, when really it was this giant yeah. risk that could have ended her career. And it was mm-hmm. so powerful. And, and for me, it's like, I'm Iranian, I'm brown, I look different. And if ever I did see depictions of gay people, they were white gay men. I mean, that's just all you saw. Yeah. So for her to be putting, it was, it was all queer men of color. I mean, the power of it was, was incredible. And yeah, I mean, I saw Blonde Ambition twice, uh, kind of out of sheer luck. The first time I saw it in New York, which is where I lived with my par- my poor parents. I mean, they were, <laughs> oh my God, they took me to Virgin Tour and Blonde Ambition. After that, they let me go alone. They were done. But um, yeah. although I will say, props to my parents, they went to the Rebel Heart Tour without me, which is, wow, <laughs> nice. right? Wow, all these years later. They, they missed Madonna. They, my mom loves her. My mom loves her now. Uh, she probably wanted to get on stage and dance with her like, she I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just very, it was hugely impactful. And then the second time I saw Blonde Ambition was, was that summer in France because we happened to be staying in the same hotel as the dancers and the crew members. And one of the crew members gave us four tickets. And so we saw it in Nice, the show that ended up on HBO. On HBO. Oh my God. So you got to see her with the hairpiece and the curls. Yes. (laughs) I saw saw Blonde Ambition with both hairstyles. Both looks. Yes. And both were. And I I honestly can't even pick a favorite. I mean, obviously the ponytail is more iconic, but the other one was. Yes, but there's something about the way 
the curls look towards the end of the show after she's like sweat through. I don't know. There's just something really sexy about the way she looks towards the end. I know. Mm-hmm. I, I, not agree. everyone gets that. I agree. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So, yes. Yeah, so, I, but I would say for me, it's the, for me, the impact of that era, other than the fact that I think it's the peak of her, um, I think it's the peak of her power over the con- the cultural conversation, which I think is what mm-hmm. Madonna is so good at. And that I think is where she really was owning the cultural conversation and making the country and the world talk about things they didn't want to talk about, which is what I always think is her biggest, uh, you know, positive quality. I just love that about her. But for me, it was really the awakening of my sexuality and of my self-acceptance and i've always said that without madonna i don't know i don't know when i would have come out or accepted mm-hmm. myself or, and i know a lot of queer people of our generation feel that way so i'm grateful yeah well said i mean i i, I had similar experience it's like almost as if madonna gave me permission to come out she was telling me it was going to be okay because there right. were others out there and the feelings that i was having were you know, part of her music, you know, it just, the words she wrote described a lot of internal feelings that I wasn't getting from Debbie Gibson and Tiffany, you know what I'm saying? No. (laughs) And I think that's, I think that's the thing that's so cool. I mean, I actually went to, um, as part of my job as a YA novelist, I go speak to high schools and I was at a high school Mm -hmm. recently. And one of the high school girls was wearing a cutoff music era Madonna t-shirt. I'm not kidding. She didn't even know I was coming to speak or that I loved Madonna. (laughs) And so and I asked her, I'm like, How, why are you wearing this T-shirt? And she said her mom introduced her to Madonna, and now she loves Madonna, and and why? And uh, but then I asked her who who's the artist who kind of speaks to you, and she said Tyler, the creator, which I thought mm-hmm. was so interesting because again, yeah. that's an artist who's really breaking boundaries and telling young people you're allowed to be weird, you're allowed to yeah. break the rules. And I think that's what Madonna told so many of us. I mean, back then when you're right, like Debbie Gibson, Tiffany, so many people were not reflecting that sense of rebellious, powerful, you know, self-acceptance. Madonna made it okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And on top of that, you know, to name other artists of the time, you know, In Excess and Kathy Dennis weren't teaching me about Tamara Delampica or, uh, (laughs) you know, I wasn't, I wasn't learning about art and literature, you know, through uh, listening to these, uh, you know, amazing pop artists of the late eighties or that's amazing. Well, I do think that's one reason the, like my favorite artist of this generation is hands down Lana Del Rey, which is one reason I love Mm -hmm. her is because I do think she's doing that for this. She's she's sending them down rabbit holes of researching, you know, Joni Mitchell and Neil young and whoever all the people david lynch all the people she references Mm -hmm. but yeah i think often about the people the artist i discovered when i was young like i I was obsessed with old movies and i often wonder like was that because of the material girl video like did i start because marilyn was my first old movie star love and Mm -hmm. pedro almodovar is still my favorite filmmaker and i still wonder like did i do i love pedro almodovar because of truth or dare and because that's how i first got into it. I mean, Madonna was a portal into great art. She really, and, and I love that she always, um, she always wore her references proudly and celebrated other artists. She didn't hide who she borrowed from or, um, was honoring. Like you, you knew that she was paying homage to Marilyn or Dietrich Mm -hmm. or, um, or the Metropolis movie or Mm -hmm. my fair lady. I mean, you, you, everything she did her fans were like oh this is what she's referencing we now need to go see that and then it's all just an education it's amazing 
Well, and it's funny you mentioned that because so I was stalking your Twitter feed last night, just prepping mm-hmm. for our interview today. And it was research, yeah, a little research. I <laughs> uh, got a got a bone up, and uh, you had uh, retweeted um, an article by uh, writer Sydney Urbanic, and she had written a column about Madonna and death, where basically she like highlighted a couple of Madonna's videos, "Dear Jesse," "The Power mm-hmm. of Goodbye," "Hung Up," and "God Control." Um, mm-hmm. It's a great article if if people uh, are listening and haven't read it. Yeah, it's, it's a masterful this, article. Please yeah, she does it. this like it was like a college like essay article, yeah. you know, like one of those 10 yeah. page things that you turn in for women's studies or something. Yeah. And she does a deep dive onto like Madonna and death and how like at the, you know, like no other pop star has sort of talked about the topic of death so much in different ways that mm-hmm. Madonna has. And she sort of like highlights it in like using those four videos mm-hmm. uh, as an examples of like her mom dying or a relationship dying or a physical body dying. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I loved the most was how she talked about power of goodbye, which is such a gorgeous video and gorgeous mm-hmm. song and such an, Madonna uh-huh. looks gorgeous. You know, like everything's yeah, gorgeous. One of my about favorites. It, you know, Directed by Matthew Ralston. I mean, it's just such an epic song and, and video. And this was unbeknownst to me. So last night I was like talking about going down rabbit holes. They, she, uh, Sydney mentions in her article that at Power of Goodbye at the end when Madonna's walking off into the beach and she kicks off her shoes and you see the ocean waves, whatnot. It's basically a shot by shot homage to the Joan Crawford movie yes. Humoresque, which yes. I had no idea. Um, <laughs> I'd never seen. I'd never seen the movie, but then there's a link in the article that takes you to a YouTube video that somebody had yeah. edited together, a shot by shot comparison of Humoresque with Joan Crawford yeah. and Power of Goodbye with Madonna, and I was like. Oh my God, this is amazing. I had no idea. And I love that one, that she did that and I didn't know about it. And two, that in, I'm, you know, in my Madonna fandom, I'm still learning things that she's doing even to this day, you know, like I just love that. Yeah. There's so many references. And I mean, uh, another reason I love that is because I'm a huge Joan Crawford fan and Humoresque is one of my favorite movies, but as I talk about in my book, the fact that Joan Crawford is one of the people not mentioned in the Vograph is <laughs> it's shocking. And the fact that Joe DiMaggio is in favor of all these, you know, iconic movie stars who belonged was always very disturbing to me. Um, an otherwise perfect song. But so I think in some ways <laughs> that was like Madonna doing right by Joan. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It it's, was um, like it was Madonna's apology to Joan for not including <laughs> her in Vogue. Um, let's now talk about your very entertaining and heartfelt book, um, like a love story. I, I started, I started it several times and then one day I just picked it up and read it from cover to cover and I had an emotional journey. It was, it was so good, Abdi. I, I love, I mean, I'm from that generation. So reading about the summer of 1989 was like, wow, I didn't go through what those kids in the book were going through, but I understood all the feelings and the soundtrack was exactly the same. Keep it together was my favorite song, like a prayer. And then when I, you know, the remix is my, still my favorite remix. And then, you know, when it was, it's so, yeah. Yeah, it's so rare to it, hear that. It's a. It's, it was like soul to soul and oh, Lisa Stansfield, so yes. all you know, wrapped yes. up into Madonna. Very current for her, you know, and but also then you know when Blonde Ambition dropped and that was the final song it's and the way that the it best. was presented was. It's the, it's brilliant. my favorite Madonna live performance. Is mm-hmm. keep it together from Blonde Absolutely. Ambition. So the book just takes you to a place in time that a lot of people don't know, and mm-hmm. uh, if you could tell us a little bit 
a little bit about like, you know, the setting and um, how you incorporated just the love of Madonna into this, you know. This, <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the book, uh, well, first of all, it's called Like a Love Story, obviously, as an homage to. Like a love oh, story. Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, I'm not even going to try and sing it as like. Oh, a I'll never sing again. Worst by the way. We don't am, sing on this podcast. I am the worst. I know. I'm not the best singer. I'm not the best dancer. I push people's buttons. <laughs> um, I. You know, the book tells the story of three teenagers who get involved in AIDS activism in New York City in 1989 and 1990. The, the kind of starting point of the book is when an Iranian teenager moves to New York City with his mom, and he's very much in the closet because, of course, being gay in Iranian culture is still uh, very hard. Back then, it was non-existent. It wasn't even something, you know, uh, there wasn't even a word for being gay, to be honest, hmm. back then in, in Farsi, other than insults. And, uh, and so when he moves there, he ends up befriending this, this really fabulous young girl who's a fashion designer who he ends up having a relationship with. And as he um, is in this relationship with her, he starts to fall in love with her gay best friend, who's very much of an activist. And the added layer is that her uncle, Stephen, is living with HIV AIDS and is an ACT UP activist. And so he becomes a mentor to all three of them. And it's like... When I tend to describe it, I say it is a love story, but more than anything, the reason I called it like a love story is because it's more of a love letter to all the people and places and things mm-hmm. that allowed my generation to have the abundant lives we have. So it's yeah. it's funny because as I was writing it, the one thing I knew is that I felt like in depictions of the AIDS epidemic, there were the, the there were more st- stories about the generation that came before mine that was on the front lines, which makes sense. But I, yeah. I didn't feel like there was a story that really mirrored my experience, which was that I was a little bit too young to be on the front lines. I was too young to have lost many friends or to be an activist myself. I was coming of age as a gay man when all the messaging was fear and shame and, you know, and before it was treatable. So I also wasn't young enough to, to not feel the psychic effects of that. And I, that's what I wanted to write about, but, I guess the surprise to me as I was writing it is that it became this more slightly more hopeful book than I expected because I realized as I was writing it, wow, like I have this amazing life and it's because I found mentors and friends and it was because activists fought to give me this life. And it's because people like Madonna um, fought and, and represented my community and mirrored me back to me. So I think that's where, I wasn't planning on having Madonna be a part of the book, to be honest, when I started writing it. That was a big surprise to me. Um, But I think the reason she became such a big part of it is because I didn't feel like I could write about um, the things that helped me accept myself and helped me, you know, become the gay man I am today without writing about Madonna. It just became so natural. And so, you know, the, the Iranian character's, falling in love with Madonna is a big part of the book, just like I discovered her. He discovers her a little later than I did, but I kind mm-hmm. of described that process of both falling in love with an artist and also how she helps you to see yourself. Um, the Blonde Ambition Tour is a big set piece in the book. The characters get to oh, go. Yeah. And, you know, that's a very important scene to me because as we discussed that, that tour really changed my life. And I wanted it to, I wanted to just show the way that music and art can be a form of activism in the way that it, that it creates change, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah it, in the midst of reading the book, um, you know, not to give anything away, but uh, 
when there's like the discovery that the characters are going to see Madonna at the Blonde Mission tour, I just let out this huge gasp. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, he's so going there. Like he's actually <laughs> going to like take us there, you know? It was so good though. I um my favorite part though, which I feel like it's so well written and um it just it just brings up so much is this the part early in the book when Reza, our main character, goes to the record store and buys his first Madonna record. And I'm sure that's like a feeling that a lot of us can really relate to. And I just, I just can't say enough about that. I mean, it's, he's looking through, he sees the record and then his friend is kind of talking to him at the same time. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, so obviously we all, those of us of that era remember, you know, this is pre-streaming, pre-iTunes, we had to go mm-hmm. to the record store, and it was such an event, and um, I really wanted to both capture that feeling of going to find your favorite music, but then also in the in the era I was writing in, Madonna only had a few albums, because it takes place in 1989-1990, and two of them were Like a Virgin and Like a Prayer, and mm-hmm. so the two gay characters end up in a discussion about why does she name her albums Laika? And it's funny because I always remember thinking Madonna was always going to do this. And of course she never did it again, <laughs> but I was always yeah. expecting, I right? Keep, I know. I keep waiting for yeah. her to do it again. Like, yeah, like a bedtime story. Like a bedtime story, like a mother, like a, you know, like a ray of light, whatever. But, um, but, but what I found so fascinating and what I think is very um, resonant for me is that is that one of the reasons I think Madonna communicated to a deep part of my soul is because as a young gay man who was very closeted until I was in my early twenties, I was very, um, I was very involved in performance all my life in, in performative qualities of, of being one thing on the outside and another thing on the inside. And that kind of duality of hiding um, <clears throat> something as you perform something else, I think is exactly what Madonna does and did and so the idea that she was naming things like a virgin or like a prayer mm-hmm. is just shining a light on the fact that she's she's exploring these huge topics like religion and sex, but with an with a little bit of a wink, and also with the idea that like they're not they're not completely um, authentic, right? Yeah. And and I think one of the things the characters talk about is she didn't do that for True Blue, which of course is like the album that you know, talks most about love and she was in love at that point and that maybe that's something she actually takes completely seriously that when it comes to love, there isn't a, mm, a yeah, artifice. Mm. Love is actually the core and everything else is artifice, right? Like a virgin, yep. like a prayer, but not like true blue or, you know, like a love story. And um, and I think that's something that really resonates with me in Madonna's messages. She She has a sense of playfulness and irony about everything in the world, but she does take love very seriously. And at the core of her work is, is this, this desire and need for human beings to love each other and, and support each other. And I think that that's very beautiful. Um, and yeah, so that's, no, what that's, that's about. I, I also love that um, you describe that gray area that we all kind of lived in uh, as Madonna fans in the eighties where do people think I love her because she's so sexy and erotic or do people think I love her because I'm gay? You know, well that, 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 <laughs> that part of the book comes directly from my life. I had, mm-hmm. this is, this I, is not a joke. So related 10, to that too. You did. Yeah. yeah I mean, when I was I'm, 10, um, we moved to the suburbs and I had a Madonna room. We had this little um, suitcase room <laughs> And I took all the suitcases out, moved them to the basement. This was the East Coast where we have basements. And I made it the Madonna room. And it was like, I remember my mom always talking about me having a crush on her. 
And even when I came out, I mean, I came out to them in my early 20s, I brought it up. Like, how could you not have known I had a Madonna room? <laughs> and even then they were like, we thought you were in love with her. Which, which is a, but that's a very valid thing for two mm-hmm. Iranian parents who don't understand gay culture and gay iconography to believe, right? Oh, I had the same exact experience. I mean, you know, grew up Latin American. I remember being so bold and brave and buying with my own money the uh, large, you know, blow up poster of the cover of Harper's Bazaar. Uh, you know, with the blonde hair slicked back. So I, I had that, that on my part. wall. And so my mother's like, oh, you couldn't like somebody that's a little bit more beautiful or, or cultured. And and then cut to a couple of years later when I came out to my family and no one believed me. My brother's like, come on, guys. He has a Madonna poster on his wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, then, and then I hear, well, we thought that you were attracted to her. I, we thought that you liked blondes, right. you know? And I'm like, that's oh, so right. well, you know. Yeah, no, it's I've I've been reading the book as well, and there was so much of it that like was resonating with me, not just in becoming a Madonna fan and the experiences that you go through with that, but like also just like it was hearkening me back to what it felt like to realize you were gay for the first time, and mm-hmm. the feelings that you get when you're experiencing those like twinges of love or a sexual attraction to a man for the first time. And it was mm-hmm. like throwing me back in mm-hmm. such a great way where, you know, I'm a little bit more advanced in my years and uh, <laughs> let's hope so. <laughs> now I, it does, it's not as that excitement that it used to be maybe. And yeah. it, it was like, it was so wonderful to just go back to that time when it was like exciting and, and brand new, like a virgin, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. It, I loved that. I loved sort of like being able to read that and be transported back to that time in my own life where it was like, oh yeah, that's totally what it was like. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, made me very emotional about, yes, Abdi, I cried several times while reading Tony this. Tony loves oh. to cry. <laughs> Tony cries. I, I love to cry. Yeah. I love but to cry But I, um, too. one of the things that really got me emotional when I just closed the book, I was like, I am so happy that like burgeoning gay teens have something like this to read because I wish I'd had something like that mm-hmm. to read. You know, I yeah. was like sneaking Edmund White books, you know, from the library yeah. and, and getting yeah. yelled at for just even touching them, you know? I so know. for, you know, someone who's 13, 14, who's coming out and to read, you know, something that's, you know, set in the eighties and, you know, tells them about another place in time, but also informs them that what they're going through is normal and it happens to all of us is, is just, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a gift. So thank you. you well, know? thank you for saying that. And it's, um, I mean, it's funny because I do think I write these books first and foremost for the teenage me. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like writing the stories that I wish I had when I was young. And then yeah. the beauty is when you find that it actually resonates with with people today. And I think the the sad truth is that, you know, writing about, the late 80s and early 90s it is resonant for kids today because just like back then, you know, there are teens who feel like their voices aren't heard, you know, just like the government was ignoring the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. We have a government that's ignoring whole swaths of people and putting communities in cages. And, you know, it's just this, it's just this sad thing that you realize the line between the past and the present isn't, isn't so long. And, mm-hmm. and there are kids today who still feel ostracized and still feel like they need to learn you know, the importance of activism and community and all of that. So yeah, it's, it's been kind of a privilege to tell the story. Yeah. Well, and I think what's great also is that, um, you know, like just thinking about like how Madonna, like you were saying, Madonna was such an influence on you and you didn't even really realize it maybe at the time, 
sort of like what was you were responding to. I mean, I, I know as a closeted gay kid at 15, you know, mm-hmm. when, when Vogue came out in that beautiful video and I was uh. obsessed with that song and that video the entire year that it was out. And I mean, to the point where, and you know, God bless our parents for, mm-hmm. for dealing with us. If, if they knew, if they didn't know, just like it's, it must've been <laughs> quite comical for all of our parents to have to deal with seeing our response to this figure that they didn't have any interest in. Right. And, you know, here's my mom taking me to the Willow Grove shopping mall to buy a suit for picture day. And I'm asking the shopping associate at Oak tree. Can <laughs> Oak you, tree. can we please find a suit? Like one of the guys in Madonna's Vogue video. And oh. you know, like my mom's just standing there letting me tell, I asked the sales associate, you know, like I just was not happy with any of the suit options that I was getting, but it was like, mm-hmm. that's what I wanted. And I have, you know, because Madonna's putting these people on display and that's what it's like, I want to be like that. And I didn't yeah. know why, and I yeah. didn't know what I was responding to, but it just like Madonna yeah. was making it okay. Yes. And that's what I was responding to. And I also happen to think that Madonna is half the reason why I ended up in New York, you know, like <laughs> Madonna trouncing through New York and desperately seeking Susan. I was like, that's where oh, I'm going to go. Yeah. No. And what was great about Vogue that Abdias also kind of touched upon in his book um, is that, while, you know, we're discovering Vogue and we're making it ours and, um, you know, loving Madonna at the same time, the rest of the world was on our side, mm-hmm. you know, because it was such a huge hit and it, you know, crossed all boundaries. It was gay, straight, uh, black, white, you know, you name it. And the whole world was behind us loving Madonna. And it was, it was, it was very unique because you don't really see that a lot. Lately. Yeah. It was, <laughs> well, there's, but there's less, I mean, I guess some artists do it, but now I feel like because of the way art is consumed, there's less people who dominate the entire conversation. There's people who dominate certain bubbles of conversation or speak to certain communities or, you know, they speak to the coast, but not to the middle of the country or some people speak to the coast. But back then there were certain artists like Madonna or Michael Jackson or Prince who really did, you know, speak to the entire conversation. And I think there was something amazing when you saw something like Vogue crossing all boundaries. And, you know, it's, it's wild to me that a song that is so gay gets played at like weddings everywhere. And, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just this, this it was a global phenomenon, wonderful thing. It was a global phenomenon. And it's all, I mean, I, I travel, I've lived in a lot of countries. I've traveled all over the world. I mean, Madonna is, is global. I mean, wherever you go, mm-hmm. people understand her language. It's incredible. Yeah. And well, and funnily enough, we're just going to do a small segue since we had brought up Vogue. Um, uh-huh. As we all as we all might have heard in the news lately, and we usually lead the show off with this week in Chaconi. We did not do, but we're getting back to it now. Um, speaking of Madonna and yeah. earth shattering dance songs, <laughs> um, as we all know, Madonna had just uh, claimed her 50th number one uh, song on the da- Billboard dance charts um, yes. uh, uh, with I Don't Search, I Find. Um, I was very happy to hear that because mm-hmm. I Don't Search, I Find is, I think, one of my standouts on the, yeah. uh, especially so the the Offernism remix, which mm-hmm. I'm 
desperately waiting for her team to release any day I'm, now. Well, any I'm waiting. I'm now. waiting for her team to release the the bedtime story album remixes. The Junior <laughs> uh, Vasquez. Yeah. I mean, where are those? <laughs> oh, well, let's let's also ask for Veronica Electronica, the Ray of Light remix oh, project. Where God. is that hiding? <laughs> There's a lot. There is a lot hiding. Luckily, I still have all my old CD singles and records. Me so. too. Oh, I know. I haven't yeah. got. Yeah, they're in my closet. But yeah, but, this fiftieth uh, number one is hot off the heels of the you know the uh i was i think it was crave yeah you're the one i crave crave yeah. and you know also uh the um the grammy win from a couple of weeks ago with tracy young's remix yes. so yes. you know the madame x train keeps rolling along yes well, and madame we, x is fantastic it's yes so oh so you you saw the show here in new york yes uh la i saw the show i live oh, in la okay. yeah so i saw the show in la it was my husband's birthday gift to me Oh, that was very quite, front row. Yeah. That's a nice birthday gift. Front row. It was. He sees uh, you. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Um, well, it, it was amazing. I mean, honestly, I absolutely love the album. I know there's a lot of people who are like desperately seeking Madonna's collaboration with Patrick Leonard or Shep Pettibone. For right. me, it's Mirways. Like Mirways is my yeah. favorite Madonna collaborator. So when I heard it was him, I was just over the moon, and it did not disappoint. Like I think that the kind of work they do together is exactly what I want from Madonna at this mm-hmm. point. It's the kind of like, give no fucks, you mm-hmm. know, say what's on my mind uh, attitude. And I just love the album. And I thought the tour brought it to life so brilliantly. It was just intimate and vulnerable and defiant and beautiful. And she interacted so much. I mean, there was a, there was a small era where Madonna was doing tours where she barely spoke. Like, yep. all you got was, hello, Los Angeles. And it's like, right. I don't, you know, she's one of the funniest, um, most present people in the world. Like, you want her to to talk. You don't just want her to hit her marks. And so for me, honestly, the Madame X tour is up there with my favorite Madonna tours. I agree. Don't Wouldn't you say, like, as a longtime fan who's seen her uh, live on stage many times, this is the show we've always asked for internally, and we kind of got it, you know, to Madonna Ab- for- Madonna to talk to us and sing to us and we can see her and we can sometimes touch her, you know? I mean, truthfully, the show, I think I really, and I'm I'm a very odd Madonna, because sometimes I'll end up talking to Madonna fans and I realize what they want is the opposite of what I want. But but I think what what I would love at some point from her is a version of what Kylie Minogue did with her, um, was it called the Anti-Tour or the... the, Yeah. It was basically that tour. and remixes, yeah. Yes. Like what I want Madonna to do is just, I don't care anymore about her dancing or staging or anything. I want her to get on the stage and sing love tried to welcome me and gambler mm-hmm. and let down your guard you know yeah like i want i want her to sing all the songs we love that nobody else mm-hmm. you know rescue me we got very close so we got close we got, no close. Cigar. we got close yeah i mean give us like i don't know i want all of those really intimate vulnerable songs um so but i do think this was this was for me and i love all the you know i loved mdna and i loved Rebel Heart and Sticky and Sweet, but for me, I think after Blonde Ambition and Girly Show, this is this is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the perfect segue for one of my favorite parts of the podcast, and it's when Stefan assaults you with Stop a quick it. fire. I don't assault. I'm not Madonna. <laughs> Ooh, talking. I'm not Madonna talking to people as a beer bitch. <laughs> oh, I shan't God. assault. <laughs> oh, God. 
Don't, don't trust me. She will hear. She will not hear the end of it when I speak to but her. Don't again. You love, me. But don't you? Don't you also feel like on this tour, in in the context of her talking segments, she's addressed so many things that she's never addressed before. Like she's addressed right? her British accent. Apparently, in London, she made yes. this comment about yes. it, which I thought was brilliant. Um, she she addressed the grills. Like at my show in LA, she talked about how. Um, Anytime someone, her fans tell her they don't want something, she'll do it more. And she said, I'll keep wearing the grill, you know, which I thought was so brilliant. I mean, I've actually thought that that would be like a great way to like do reverse psychology with Madonna. Be like, Madonna, please wear the grills forever. And then maybe she'll stop. Madonna, how about two eye patches instead of one? (laughs) Right. Madonna, stay away from Patrick Leonard. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Don't exactly. I'm telling you, it'll work. All right, Stefan. Please, please, Madonna, only okay. do ballad albums for the rest mm-hmm. of your career, and then she'll do a dance album again. It'll be perfect. I'll, I'll be loving it. Oh, um, but honestly, okay. I want a ballads album. I'm going to be like, oh, just do Confessions too, Madonna. Well, you know people are telling her to do that, and that's why she's not doing it. No, but then give us something to remember, too, which is what I want. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Yes, but as as we digress, yes, we yes, move yes, into yes. Hit me. The, Hit me. The, the Madonna me. lightning round. As as everyone who listens to the podcast knows, this is just a quick off the top of your head, whatever you're thinking, wherever you're at in your current Madonna journey. So it okay. doesn't, it it can change tomorrow. It doesn't matter, but where you're at right now. So I'm ready. Um, what is your favorite Madonna video? Ooh, bad girl. <laughs> Ooh, oh, so, so good! good. <laughs> love that. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, we are I, big fans I of erotica. I mean, yeah, oh. yeah, we're, we're threatening to do an erotica episode. We just haven't yet. That um, well, feel free to call me again. Okay, um, okay. <laughs> invitation uh, accepted. Uh, what is? Oh, is there a Madonna song currently on repeat? Ooh, that's interesting. I know um, every week it changes for me, so I'm hoping it's the same with others. You know what I've been listening to a lot lately is I Know It. I love that oh, song. Oh, vintage. It's very vintage, but I just, it's it's like a favorite. And I feel like, I don't know. I listen to a lot of the non-singles, I feel yeah. like, because the singles mm-hmm. just get, they're so in your brain that you, I don't know. It's very rare for me to put on like Four minutes, anyone? Girl. <laughs> <Stop it. laughs> well, you know, with the Madonna singles, I mean, you can go into your local CVS or, mm-hmm. you know, like everywhere you go, they're they playing play. the singles, you Although know. So like, the, yes, yeah, I know that you can true. actually get like if you want to hear deep cuts, that's up to you. So that you is know, up like, to you. Although, although I play a lot of the Madonna songs. My kids, we do this thing where when we're in the car, they we get to each pick a song, and they def they love Madonna. Um, oh, good. And they so I do end up listening to a lot of their favorites on repeat, and they change a lot. But they've been, you know, they went through their like open your heart crazy for you phase. They have Aww. their favorites on Madame <laughs> X. You know, we listen oh, to crazy nice. a lot. I love, I love that you're bringing the younger generation. Yes. I, I do that with my nieces and nephew. They, they, I don't know if they love me for it, but I still do it. All right. Well, let's hope that where life begins is not on any of these playlists. <laughs> <laughs> it, oh, is, it is not. Can you imagine? Seriously. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, what is your favorite Madonna look? Could be from a video, a photo shoot, a tour. Oh God. Okay. I'm going to go with the look on the cover of the justify my love record, the leather mm-hmm. cap. I Madonna oh, I at like that. your local S and M club yeah. with was, the ill-conceived was, uh, lip injections. Oh, it yeah. was Madonna. It was Madonna of Finland. It was, complete, yes. <laughs> it was like, it was like gay. She was working with like gay iconography. It was so brilliant. Yeah. I it's basically that. Madonna doing the door at the gaiety. Exactly. 
Exactly. Oh, um, so good. And then Tony, you had suggested, I love Tony's addition to the lightning round question. What, uh, do you have a favorite piece of Madonna memorabilia? God, I, I, I don't know if this counts as memorabilia, but I guess my ticket to the Blonde Ambition tour in, in the South of France, in Nice, because it was, that was like the summer that really changed my life and put me closer to the Madonna circle than I've ever been. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah and I still have framed. it. Framed, yes. Yeah, I still have it. It's pretty incredible. I recently found my Blonde Ambition ticket stub and it's so old that the ink is gone. But you can, if you oh, look wow. at it, if you look at it in the right light, you can see the like impression of where it was oh, typed. But I'm like, what am I going to do? Yeah, what am I going to do to like get this ink back but, on this ticket? <laughs> you, know what, you know what's so cool about the French ticket is that it's not like an American ticket. It's bigger and it has her photo on it. It's, yes, it's, I remember seeing those. It's it's so much cooler. Like the American tickets just have like type and yeah. it all like fades over time. But this is... Yeah, uh, I, I remember during the girly show, uh, which went everywhere except, you know, three dates here in the United States. I remember seeing the tickets from the other countries and I was like, oh, my God, these these are like frameable. They're huge. You know, how are people putting these in their pockets? They're yeah. Not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Okay, so I just wanted to. They're so beautiful. A a little non Madonna conversation quickly before we wrap up. I wanted to Mm -hmm. know how you got involved in Call Me By Your Name. Oh, so I'm the head of development for a production company in addition to the writing I do. And uh, we were one of the production companies behind the movie. We were the first company to put any financing into it so we were involved in the development of the film over years and then you know eventually when it got made I got to be an associate producer on it and kind of be a part of the journey and uh yeah I mean that's it, it was it was incredible I loved the, I, obviously as an author who writes gay novels that book is mm-hmm. is beloved by me as it as yeah. it was by many so to get to watch the journey of that film you know I was there when it premiered at Sundance mm-hmm. and you know, to get to see the response that people had and and observe that is just very powerful. Will you be involved if they make a sequel? I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I know, I'm, I'm assuming that's probably going to be a couple years down the road because they want to use, obviously, Army and... Uh, Little Timothy Timothy Chalamet, Timothy, and they I think, they, think they, Wait, want, they want to like you, age I them hope, up. I hope you know the Timothy Chalamet oh, Madonna connection. You do know this? Oh, but we do. I've you witnessed do. Okay. it with my own eyes. Wait, what? You saw him in Lola? Okay, so I used to work for the Film Society at Lincoln Center. And okay. Popcorn. He did popcorn. No, I Amazing. did not. So across the street uh, from my office is you know the Film Center, but then there are these steps. Uh, that go up into where the Lincoln Center theaters are. And every afternoon around three, between three and four, all of the kids from uh, LaGuardia High School uh, come down and they stand or they congregate in that area and smoke cigarettes. And (laughs) one day I'm just like, you know, walking out of my office like, oh my God, Madonna's daughter's downstairs. And I was like, okay, running down there just to (laughs) kind of look at her, you know, look at her from the corner of my eye and... Uh, another girl who works with me is like, oh, she's with that guy from Homeland. That's all I remember. <laughs> I well, that's who he th- was and, back then. Right. And then I was like, I don't know who that guy is. Whatever. Get out of my, you know, get out of Lola's, you know, <laughs> way. But it was, you know, it was, it was very exciting for me, you know, as as it would be for any Madonna fan who's 
grown up seeing Lola, you know, especially as a baby, and then she's got a sure. cigarette in her mouth. Oh, my God. Oh, Lola. But yeah, it wasn't Lola. until a couple of years later that I realized that's the kid who was with her. And, and then that's I found right. out that they had dated briefly. Yeah. Yeah. And look at him now. Look oh, look at oh, him Elio. now. Elio, Elio, Elio. Yeah, and then look cut to now. him at Madonna's Oscar party the night of, uh, you know, the year that Call Me By Your Name was nominated, and he um, apparently danced with her that night. I, I mean, come on. you got to love that. you got to <laughs> we'll love that. We'll have to ask him when we have him on the, on the podcast. Oh, yeah. You know? Don't you want to know his favorite, <laughs> his favorite Madonna look? <laughs> no, I'd actually, if I had him in front of me, I would only ask him about Vanessa Paradis, but that's just me, you know? Wait, what Who? does he have to, I don't know what he has to do with Vanessa Paradis. He's I love been her. dating her daughter, Lily Rose Depp, for the last six months. Oh, okay. Okay. I was like, please don't tell me he's dating her. That's no. not. <laughs> uh, um, no, but he I was just daughters thinking, of pop stars. <laughs> you know what I was just thinking is that the, the Timothée Chalamet, my favorite Timothée Chalamet look is his harness on the red carpet, which was very Madonna just. To find my love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very inspired so there, by Gautier. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, he's, he's going to slowly recreate all her looks on the red carpet. Uh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> I would love that. I, props to Timothy if he was able to do that. that would oh be my god! And meanwhile, when is Lola's album coming out? I'm still trying to figure out what she does. I know she's an artist. I just don't know she, what her discipline she's is. She's currently starring in the Madame X show in, yeah, in the Frozen she, number. It's, I mean, it's it's such a stunning number. Yeah. And so unexpected. Good. So good. God. T- Tony was crying. Of course. Oh, who could? All I four mean, it was, times. Yeah, all, all the time. All the multiple times that we went. Tony you cried. saw it four times? Yes, accidentally. I only planned to go. Actually, I only planned to go once, and then didn't think I was going to go at all because of the way that the ticketing rolled out. But you know, let's we don't not, talk about. Yeah, that we don't fiasco. talk about that. God, I'm so um, jealous. But yeah, you know, I entered the uh, icon contest. You know, and she was here in Brooklyn for three weeks. So I mean, that's wow. All I really yeah, we we averaged. Well, I went six times. I didn't think that was going to happen, but. Um, Oh God bless. God. God bless Philadelphia. Yeah, I we you didn't plan what? this. Yeah, I didn't. Too. I. I was going to go again with my friends, but then because we were in the front row, I was reticent no, to kind can't. of sully. Yeah, can't. Although I have yeah. to tell you, I, th- th- I know yeah, you probably exactly. want me to go, but but speaking of being in the front row, I do want to no, tell no, you about no. We'll just keep one, chatting. <laughs> we'll just keep chatting. But the one Madonna tour experience I had that was really special was that um, I got to go to the Friends and Family show of the Confessions tour. And Ooh, it's, oh, uh, yeah, and they were rehearsing in Los Angeles, which is where I live. And so a friend of mine invited me and it's unseated. So you just kind of go in and grab your mm-hmm. seats. And obviously my friends and I showed up like six hours early so that we'd be <laughs> in the front row. And we were, we were like dead center front row. And I was like singing along to hung up with her. But the thing oh, that made it so, so special is that right before the show, Madonna comes out. I mean, basically I think in like sweatpants and like, her hair is up and she looks tiny and just very, you know, normal. And the she artist this, at work. <laughs> right. And she gives this little speech to us and she's, you know, she basically says like, thank you for being here. You guys are our first audience. We're really happy that you're here. And, you know, we hope you like the show. And she's just very small and little and using the small voice. And I mean, we're all just standing there like, oh my God, that's Madonna. And she's so mm-hmm. normal. And she leaves and like, one minute later, she comes out of that giant like egg or disco ball mm-hmm. or whatever that was, and she's this superhuman, yeah, you know, force. And I, to me, that was one of the most incredible Madonna experiences because it was like watching her. It's like what I was talking about with that duality between the person inside and the person outside. It's like in the course of sixty seconds, you watched her transform from this 
you know, this tiny little woman who is just grateful to people for watching her to this goddess, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was so cool to see That's that. the power of Madonna. That's yes. the power of Madonna. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Well, Abdi, we are beyond grateful for your participation in this episode. I just love talking to you. I, I love the book and I recommend it to anyone and everyone that's out Yay. there. Yes, definitely <laughs> go you. get your copy of Like a yeah. Love Story, as People Magazine called it, a poignant, beautifully observed novel about three teenagers fumbling towards adulthood and acceptance at the height of the AIDS crisis in New York City. Or as Tony Trias calls it, I cried the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, but Tracy, Abdi, can, can you get this? Can you get this book uh, as an audio book as well? Yes, and the audiobook actually just got nominated for an Audie Award, which is kind of cool. Nice. The biggest, um, yeah, the audiobook is great. There's three narrators. One of them is Lauren Ambrose, who you may know. Who's Ooh, oh, I loved her. Isn't she my, also a friend of yours? Lauren Ambrose is one of my best friends from high school. If you want a little Lauren Abdi Madonna trivia, when yes, we were please. in high school, yes, <laughs> when we were in high school, we we always tried to get out of our athletic requirements. And one of the ways to do it is to take like yoga or ice skating instead of mm-hmm. something real. So we took an ice skating class. And for our final presentation, we did a number to a bunch of songs, including erotica. Oh, I'm obsessed. Fun. Yeah. Is there video? Please tell me there's video. There is no video. There's no video. <laughs> See, back it before was, we had cell phones. Yeah. You it know? was absolutely insane. It was like we we had somehow we made this little mix of erotica. It had to be you, the Mickey Mouse Club theme song, and we like were like changing outfit. I mean, it was it was it was completely insane. But oh, yes, really um, yeah, bonkers and amazing. Yeah, but yes, it's available on audiobooks. Available, however, books are sold. Well, that's great. I, I mean, I'm reading the book, but I kind of want to like yeah. listen to the audiobook just to hear that. Yeah, it's a good audio. It's really they did a very good job. There's three different narrators playing each part, and it creates a it's it's very effective. I think to have that I'm gonna the, have to, the different voices. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to check that out. Thank you cool. so much for joining us. Now yes, we're going you. to uh, we're about to jump on the phone with uh, one of our friends in London, who's going to give us the wrap up on the London shows. Ooh, but fun. yes, thank you for thank you for joining us, Abdi. This is great. Been having. I mean, we could just keep talking forever and yeah. ever and ever, but uh, I, I can't. Stop, the show must go on. I will, I will stop. Well, okay. you know, when we do our erotica episode, we will give you a ring. <laughs> I'm here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sounds great. Guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much, Abdi. Talk to Bye. you soon. Okay, everybody. So next on the podcast, we have Jonathan Pert. Jonathan is hailing all the way from London, but uh, he's going to be our man on the street correspondent for the Lisbon shows and the London shows. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I will be giving you some sidewalk talk, if that's not too bad of a pun to start off with. <laughs> uh, no, we uh, we enjoy a Madonna pun here on the podcast. Oh my God, um, it's our first Scottish accent. <laughs> Welcome, really? Jonathan. So well, uh, what's you. going on in London town today? Well, it is a cold, wet, grey Sunday and the rain is bouncing off the pavements. Um, but in saying that, first of all, Madonna's in town. So obviously it's a joyous couple of weeks or three weeks. And um, yeah, the sun is just uh, gazing out slightly. So things are looking up and this is going to be a ray of light in my in my Sunday talking to you guys. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, thanks. I mean, Madonna's in town. Her love's coming down like rain. I know <laughs> London and the rest of the United Kingdom love it when Madonna's in town. So what's oh, the vibe do. like there? Oh, 
pumped. Everyone's really excited. There's something really special when she's here in town. And um, you know, I think it goes back, it brings back so many memories for us kind of long, long-term fans and hardcore fans when, you know, mm-hmm. Blonde Ambition came here and she, you know, had a wrist slap for saying fuck mm-hmm. on the radio loads of times. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? And, um, you know, yes, yes, of course. when she first hit these shores, like for Who's That Girl in Round Hay Park and stuff, there's so much nostalgia and the British fans know how much Madonna loves the UK. And, mm-hmm. On the Rebel Heart tour, actually, she mentioned the UK quite a lot. And she talked about her friend David Collins that she was very close to, you know, the interior designer who... Yes, yes. And she disclosed to us that he'd written Substitute for Love um, and that he'd, when her and he were really close, obviously, he'd kind of collaborated with her on that song, which I wasn't aware of. So her love affair with London, I think, you know, began when um, her and him hung out during the filming of Vivita, and she opened up to us about mm-hmm. that during the last tour. So it was really interesting. She also told us that she bumped the tills, um, stole from the tills in her Saturday job in New York so that she could afford to come to the UK one day because she was so keen to come here. <laughs> <laughs> but also, don't forget to tell us about those amazing appearances at GAY over the years. Did you ever get to go to any of those? I wasn't. No, I'm afraid I, I wasn't in London at that time. No. Um, so I didn't get to And the also the, the one-off at Shepherd's Bush Empire. I think that was for music and as well for... Uh, the sticky and sweet era that was brixton not. academy it was really really hard brixton to academy brixton, well you know yeah. it's all the same to me <laughs> yeah yeah um and she um she's always done quite a lot of promotion here i was at the graham mm-hmm. norton madame x kickoff like the birth of madame x so nice. oh my god she was so surly that night Oh, listen, I, I have to say, not at all. Afterwards, at the fan Q&A, she was an absolute doll. She was so fun. and um, Oh, that's she, great to hear. She was amazing, absolutely amazing, very humorous, very kind to everyone. She she signed some tattoos on the stage, um, and uh, some people kind of rushed to the stage to get things signed. Um, and I didn't have anything with me for her to sign, but I walked towards the stage, and she saw me, and she went, love you. And I was like... I can't believe oh. she just acknowledged me and said that. Like, it's so natural, so kind. <laughs> there was no need for her to do that. I mean, um, yeah. Scots it, must, do it, must do it better, you know? <laughs> we have our moments. No, but here's the thing. The reason I thought she, she came off as surly is because I, I, I'm pretty sure now, I mean, after what you've just said, but um, remember she couldn't really sit properly because of her corset? Yeah, her boobs kept spilling so, up, right? Yeah, her boobs kept <laughs> spilling out. and um, But yeah, she had a cute moment with Cheryl Crow, which I really like to see yeah 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 and um yeah when somebody she's she enjoyed her pink champagne after someone handed it to her (laughs) so jonathan you've been seeing a bevy of madonna madame x shows right you were present at some new york shows in chicago correct Yes, indeed. Yeah, where the hell have you been? Mm, All over. So um, (laughs) um, it started when I signed up, obviously, for the fan, you know, the verified fan kind of headache thing that everyone was cursing. Mm. So did did my Mm -hmm. thing with that, yeah, painfully familiar, did my thing with that in the spring. (laughs) I kind of just had my fingers crossed and prayed that I was going to get to go. And um, I got word through in due course that I'd had a Crave package for New York um, fourth row, so I was obviously thrilled mm. with that. Yeah, over the moon, and it was about her fourth night into the shows, and then as as my lucky star would have it, um, she cancelled the first shows, so I ended up being opening night, and you know, through coincidence, that was the Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, whichever night was the oh, yes. opening night, the, the world opening yeah, night, the I was Tuesday there. Night, I didn't have. T- I was supposed to have tickets for the original Tuesday night, and then she canceled. Or for the original opening night, and then she canceled. So that the the what became the opening night. I just you probably saw me. I was standing outside, hustling, selling, telling everyone about the podcast. Ah, uh, yes, those early days in the Madame X tour, the stuff of legends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I miss I miss spending every week at BAM. I, I gotta say, taking the train out to Brooklyn and just dreading every single day, knowing <laughs> that you're going to be up for 19 hours. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's I wouldn't give it starts. away for. Yes. Yeah. Well, so that's what I'm most curious about is the the difference between obviously you were here in New York and Chicago and then now in Lisbon and London, she's been going on actually quite early compared to her, her States. Very much so. Yeah. Marked difference with, um, with Europe to, to the States. I mean, New York opening night, I think we were about, about 10 45 11 15 um that's that's very early for (laughs) max yeah absolutely i mean yeah and the um the the lisbon shows and the new york the the london shows excuse me have been around um like 8 45 9 so really really civilized by madonna standards wow that's like the crack of dawn (laughs) first thing in the morning (laughs) 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 um so they um that with that that in itself has been a massive difference. Um, and I think there was so much anticipation and there was some nerves obviously around opening night for all of the fans because none of us knew obviously what to expect or how this was going to play out. And it's one of those things that you think, God, I, I really am rooting for or like I really want this to be a success because the Madame X album has had such critical acclaim um, and I really wanted the theatre to back that up. But I also felt like if it's going to be tears of a clown on a bigger scale, are people really going to get this? And I, hands up, yeah. I'm the biggest tears of a clown fan. I, I went to Melbourne, you know, I, I won tickets and, and went to Melbourne the next day on the plane to, to get to tears of a clown, slept out oh, on geez. the pavement. Listen, that's what, that's what you do. That's what you do. You know? yeah. Madonna calls, you get on that plane. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, I, you know, I, I loved the, the Melbourne show, but I did wonder how this was going to kind of translate for a tour. Um, but obviously I needn't have worried because it's been phenomenal. Correct. Um, I think when I got to Lisbon, the big difference was the the crowd are um, less jaded somewhere like Portugal. And because it's the birthplace of Madame X as well, I think they had they really had a pride in her being in their hometown. I went shopping during the day in Lisbon, as you do, and um, mm-hmm. I was chatting to some people who worked in the shops because they were obviously sort of asking, oh, you know, what what are you doing over here? And, you know, yeah. are you visiting? And um, there was a huge amount of genuine fondness for Madonna in Lisbon, and they loved the fact that her son was playing soccer over there. They also really respected mm-hmm. the fact that she's researched her Lisbon history and she has not just come over and hijacked Lisbon, she's actually blended in and really kind of bowed down almost to their culture. There's a brilliant Madonna tour in Lisbon called, I think it's called MLVC Tours. You can get them on on Instagram. And it's a, a Brazilian guy who took me and all of my friends around Lisbon and showed us Madonna's favourite fado clubs. He took us to the famous um, Lisbon Steps. Um, he took us to where she rode her little scooter around and stuff. So that really kind of added to the excitement of being able to see a little bit of Madonna's Lisbon before the shows. 
That is so cool. I, I you have to forward that information. Okay, to yeah. Us. I I was gonna say I'm like you. I don't know if you heard last episode, the last episode of our podcast. We were literally just talking about how we have to do a Madonna walking tour in New York City. Uh, definitely. And I, I I'm gobsmacked to hear that somebody actually because I was going to say mm-hmm. it's like uh, MLVC tour would be like yeah. a perfect name. So I I'm pissed that somebody stole the idea already. oh no 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 there's oh, no. room enough for everyone I, but I will. here's here's my question to you jonathan though um sure. was there any mention of the batucaderas on this uh tour of lisbon um yeah, did you sure. take the walking tour yes i took the walking tour i i i um it's i think it's called the mdna walking tour. the mdna biographical tour actually oh, okay. so your name is is still safe oh okay good okay. We, can, um, we can still keep yeah. that okay I, i'm literally gonna take that i'm <laughs> hashtag not sponsored I, i'm booking the website <laughs> url as we speak um so it's it, he, they talked a little bit the history of lisbon and he's really well prepared um obviously with the the Bocaderas coming down through the stage and everything. It's a really moving moment, I think. And one of mm-hmm. my favourite parts in the show, I don't want to digress too much and get all over the place, but one of the, my favourite parts of the show and one that I thought really resonated in Lisbon is the music and the scene with the two soldiers bringing on the coffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the music somehow and, and the back the, the, the Bocaderas coming down the... the um, the aisle and everything it just felt so moving it felt so right and you really kind of understood their story and you know madonna clearly worships those women i was lucky enough mm-hmm. to meet some of them after the as show as do i yeah they're, they're amazing yeah, tony, tony he literally has a picture of the batucaderas <laughs> on his wall um the uh the, <laughs> the meeting them after the show as well although their the english is kind of limited wow. you can just tell what really great souls they are and they're obviously having the time of their life so um and also in Lisbon, a little difference was that just prior to the um, the coffin being walked on, which I know sounds a bit gloomy, but obviously it's a total highlight in the show. Um, there was two ch- like there was two young looking dancers in sailor suits fighting to the side of the stage. I've never seen it since, and I'd never seen it before, so I don't really understand what the significance of it was. But it was part of the show, and it was like choreographed fighting. So I don't know if they were experimenting hmm. and making some little changes through the show. The Lisbon crowd adored the show the fado club part went down particularly well um yeah yeah. (laughs) um (laughs) and then so i was supposed to be there for three nights in lisbon one of them was fourth row and then the next one was sixth row so i had those two under my belt literally had my madonna t-shirt on ready to leave on the sunday night and we got word through that that show had been cancelled so that was a bit disappointing um but obviously anyone could see that she was in an agony with her knee at one point she mm-hmm. had the, the eye rise dress on black tights and just like plain black nike trainers like she looked like one of the old ladies who lives near me in south london who gets the bus to peckham and but does her shopping <laughs> i really felt <laughs> sorry for her because i thought i know i can see how much she's going through pain um so i understood when she cancelled the sunday night Jonathan, were you in Lisbon during one of the nights where, uh, well, actually two of the nights where they filmed for uh, the future broadcast? No, uh, I missed that night, unfortunately. So Mm. I I can't talk from experience, but I have some friends who are there. So I think that will be really incredible that they're releasing that as a video, particularly from that location. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at which point in Lisbon... I mean, were you there when they changed the set list? Because I'm interested in hearing about how that how that came off. Um, when the, the 
they began with um I they began with sorry um God control in the first night that I was there. Um mm-hmm. but the second night that I was there that was cut so it was the more short show. And I where she starts with Vogue. Yeah, and we didn't get um um crave the crave dance mix the second night yeah i've heard that's just gone now like apparently that's not... wait why it's a number one um dance hit yeah but I, yeah, apparently <laughs> i guess it's just because she's it's too much dancing for her i yeah. assume yeah and it's it's a it's a shame because it's a real highlight um yeah i think i prefer it to future myself personally but um you know it, it's gone you're so. not the only one yeah <laughs> Well, so then from Lisbon to London, did you see a marked difference in like how she was performing? Was her knee, her injury just the same? Was it getting worse? Well, she cancelled what was to be the London opening night. So everyone was a little bit bummed about that. Um, In London, there's obviously a huge fan base. And um, I don't know if you're aware, but there is a free Madonna party that... um, two big fans called Neil and Sharon host and it happens like every six months um, and it's a brilliant opportunity for all of us to get together it's in the daytime and it's a real kind of community hub if you like everyone gets together and mm-hmm. um, we were literally all standing at that chatting excitedly about the London shows happening and um, everyone at that same moment got a t- text through from Ticketmaster saying that the show was cancelled <laughs> so like, oh my god more vodka please more drinks um, <laughs> um, so then her knee has been better but obviously what she's you can see she's moving much in a much more agile way and one really important thing to note is that the british press are never usually particularly kind towards her um oh you don't say (laughs) um, all the way back (laughs) they invented the name madge (laughs) yeah all the way back to shanghai surprise right when she drove Mm -hmm. over a porter's foot so um they have really been unbelievably positive about this um, this run and far from criticizing her for not being agile they've uh, they have actually been really amazed they've completely supported her and talked about how brave and strong she is to push on with her show and said that there's been there's there's been no hint of the injuries so i think that speaks for itself um in lisbon i felt she was worse than uh, from a health perspective than she has been in london i also mm-hmm. must say that i went to chicago um i think it was about the third night in chicago and i had bidded for that t- ticket as part of a Raising Malawi initiative that the Madonna fan party that I talked about earlier had ran with, I think, Israel. I'm sure you, you guys know Israel. Yep. So We've had him on the podcast. Yeah. He's, a, <laughs> he's he, a friend of the podcast, yes. Great. And he'd, he'd um, run a, a, an auction for Raising Malawi, and I got, got a front row ticket for Chicago through that. But that was when I really felt that, there was something not quite right. I felt that she just wasn't herself yeah. at all. We all know she can be stern. We all know, you know, how she can be. But I, I just felt that her vibe just wasn't happy um, at all. I'd actually been to the Thursday night Chicago show and I'd been fourth row for that. I'd felt she was in a much better, more happy, outgoing mood. Um, but then on when I was there on the Saturday for the, my, my front row, I, I, I could tell that was when the pain was really starting. And then I think that's when the cancellation levels started to increase so hopefully the worst is behind her yeah yeah 
I mean, I'm sure her doctors are screaming at her to cancel the rest of the shows, but God bless her for pushing on. She can't hit a moving target, right? (laughs) So then, Jonathan, I know that um, one of your most auspicious moments on the uh, the Madame X extravaganza tour was purchasing a Polaroid. What? Why didn't I know about this? Yes, yeah. So yeah. I've seen the Polaroid. It's quite lovely. Um, it how really is it? Is. Be- and I know, I know from experience <laughs> how it is to be up close and personal with Madonna. How yeah. was it for you? Uh, yeah. It could and how many people did, in line in front of you did you have to like push out of the way? <laughs> uh, well, that's the beauty of my story, actually. That's, that's one of the great things about it. So um, I, um, I'd had some close moments during the previous, uh, during Rebel Heart. I am... Um, but I felt strongly that I, um, the Polaroid was a really good cause and it was a really fun way of being able to get a good souvenir from the show because obviously, as we all know, camera phone ban, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'd actually had a dream, and it sounds a bit hokey, but I'd had a dream that... Um, her and I was had, it a fuzzy dream? I knew you were going to say that, Tony. <laughs> I knew you were going there. You wouldn't believe the things that I had seen. So uh, exactly. I... Um, <laughs> I uh, had a dream that her and I were chatting. Obviously, with it being a dream, it was completely off the wall, and we were chatting on the set of Desperately Seeking Susan. <laughs> but um, I, as one does, <laughs> yes. I um, well, I woke up in the middle of the night. I thought, right, I think that's a sign. I must try and go for the Polaroid. So, ran to the bank, withdrew cash that I didn't have. But hey, we all do it. And then um, when I got to the theatre, I was chatting to the Palladium staff, and I think I was row. I think it was about row J that night. So it wasn't, you know, right at the front, but it was decent in the stalls. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was chatting to the um, the Palladium staff, I thought, this is a non-starter. Like, no disrespect to them, but they just don't sort of get the importance of this. And also, all their job <laughs> is really to do is to prevent nut jobs from, like, running to the stage. So they're probably not going to encourage mm-hmm. me to run to the stage at the right bit. Um, so... Then but I this had, is your moment, Jonathan. Don't they understand? Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is my one chance. So um, this, this is this used to be my playground. Come on. So I um, I um, chatted to some of my really good friends who are in the audience, who were in the, the audience, and I think that's one of the not to digress, but that's one of the great things about the Madonna fan group. People think, oh, you know, she's just a pop star. It's just someone that you look up to. But there's so much support for each other in the Madonna fan community. And there's actually so much genuine kindness out there towards each other. One of my friends actually said, well, look, if you want to go for the Polaroid tonight, I'm not going to do it so that you have a chance. Um, So little things like that, sacrifices that people make, um, helping each other out with tickets or helping each other get to events, whatever it might be. I think that's such an underrated and positive part of being a fan. Um, Mm -hmm. So my friends were in the audience, one of whom had gone for a Polaroid already, sort of gave me a little bit of advice and I spoke to Madonna's security team directly. So anybody who's thinking about going for the Polaroid, just be direct um, try and stay calm, which I know is easier said than done. Her security Did you talk to some of those big head security men? Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Like yeah, kind of yeah, six foot six mountains. Um, so yeah. I, <laughs> I, um, I chatted to him and he said, where are you sitting? And he said, you know, what amount are you planning to give? So I told him um, and he said, oh, I, I think you should be good. And at that point, my little heart started racing and I thought, oh, this hmm. could actually happen. So he said, I'm going to come and get you during the right, at the right moment. And don't worry, I'm going to shove you right 
in front of her center center stage. So lucky. I, I kept thinking, oh, he's going to forget. He's going to forget. This is too good to be true. Something's going to happen. He's going to break his leg in the first half of the show and then not be able to come and get me. Um, <laughs> so Julie, he appeared, took me down to the front of the stage and lots of sort of casual fans or fans who didn't we didn't recognize were in the front row and they immediately started bitching. we call them who's, local fans yeah local, <laughs> great that's a great expression who's this why, why is he in front of us who's this who's this blocking our view and of course the like, security guard just kind of turned around and gave them a look and they were like oh sorry we didn't know this was part of the show <laughs> mm. I was thinking, i'm so glad i didn't run down here on my own um and because it was a Saturday night in London, I took a calculated guess that there would be a lot of local fans, a lot of drunk fans, and there may not be as many hardcore of the community, and that would be a good night to go for it. So I bid 1,500, which I think is reasonable, um, and Madonna's security detail just whispered to me, you just wave your money. So I looked up, and <laughs> luckily... I, wave I, your I, money I, at the lady. <laughs> yeah, I, no one else had gone for it that night, amazingly, so it was really meant wow. to be. So... Madonna was directly in my eye line, smiling kind of quietly, not not over the top, obviously, or you know, but sort of vague recognition um, and just a kind of small smile. And then she just gen- gently kind of walked towards me and said, "You know, a lot of people try and buy this Polaroid because they want to show off to their friends. They want the friends to think that they're really loaded. And I need someone that's actually got stacks and stacks of cash to come up here <laughs> and make good. And I was thinking, oh God, Jonathan, don't blow this. Don't be nervous. Don't try and make any dumb As long jokes. as it's more. <laughs> um, just, you know, I thought the stakes are too high. Like, don't try and articulate 35 years of fandom in three minutes because it's just not going to work. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I did prepare myself before. I thought, I want to say something brief and to the point but I want to say something relevant to her at this moment because I know that Madonna always wants to look forwards and she doesn't really appreciate you know huge nostalgia um Mm -hmm. so I because she's fully inhabiting the Madame X persona at the moment and I happen to love this era anyway um she said to me now a lot of people will try and shortchange me you're not going to shortchange me are you so I said look Madonna you've never shortchanged me in 30 years so I'm not going to shortchange you now and she kind of nodded and um the audience kind of clapped and I thought oh I've got everyone on side thank god I didn't want everyone (laughs) to boo me and uh then she said so what you got for me and I put down my money and she said "Uh, and what's your name and I said Jonathan and she went Jonathan I like mm-hmm. your Scottish accent. <laughs> and uh, then um, she smiled um, and I said, and she kind of handed me the mic. And I said, Madonna, I just want to very briefly take this opportunity to say, not just from me, but on behalf of every single person in the audience and backstage, thank you for battling through despite your pain and your injuries um, and your discomfort. We respect you and we absolutely love you for your dedication to your craft. Um, And it was a a really special moment because, not to blow my own trumpet, but I was pleased I didn't make it about myself. And I was also pleased that Mm -hmm. it resonated with her. And she gave me this beautiful big smile and her eyes kind of well her one eye because she had a patch on her one eye kind of moistened a little bit and the whole audience were really just happy to hear it and I felt that I spoke on behalf of all of our London fans and I felt it was my responsibility to do that at that moment and um, she just smiled and said I think that's called being a masochist Jonathan (laughs) Um, so 
then she said, so what, what do you do? What do you work as? And I said, uh, I work for an app that helps people buy properties. And she went, oh, I don't like the sound of that. And then she went, actually, <laughs> I, I don't care what you do because you've just contributed to a cause that's very close to my heart. And I love that. And um, she shook my hand and I said, can I give it a little, can I give it a kiss? And she just nodded. So I gave her hand a kiss and um, oh, she just so said, cheeky. thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I just felt that um, at that moment, like, she was an absolute doll. She was really warm towards me. I, I didn't get the slightly more, what will we say? Sarcastic, humorous Madonna. Um, yeah. I, I, Extra I, Madonna. Oh, yeah. you mean the Madonna that I got in Philadelphia. <laughs> yes. We've all it had just her. goes to show We've you when it comes her. to speaking to Madonna, it's all about the approach, right, You Stephen? never know what you're going to get with Madonna. And sometimes you get warm and friendly and other times you get not. <laughs> Listen, Jonathan, it, I'm glad it, you took one for the team. Yeah, yes. yeah. It was, it was a fantastic Jonathan, moment. And you had sent us the Polaroid. We will definitely post that um, when we aired the episode. So thank you for sending that to us. Thank you for coming on the podcast, being a guest, and telling us a little bit about your Madame X experience. Wait, Jonathan, are you going to Paris? Yes, I am. the end of your... Oh, you are. No, I'm going to Paris, of course. Yeah. Front row. Um, In fact, actually, Paris is my my, uh, Medellin package. So I'm really excited about that. (laughs) Oh, that's the package where you get to dance in the Congo line with her on stage, right? Yeah, no, no audience participation. <laughs> Did you read the small print? Um, Can you st- imagine? Though that would be amazing. I would have wanted to buy that. You know? No, I think the Medellin package is when you go, you get a Colombian feast backstage after oh, the tour. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, you get to marry Maluma. And I'm not going to make any jokes right now. I'm not going to make any jokes. <laughs> um, well, listen, Jonathan, since you are going to Paris, take some snaps and send them to us and we'll post it on the MLBC podcast Instagram. Also, you can follow Jonathan on Instagram. It's at John O.P. So that's, that's spelled right. J-O-N-N-O-P. J-O-N-N-O-P. Yes, John Yeah, you, you can follow all of his adventures following Madame X. Yeah, past and previous adventures. There's lots on there, so you can <laughs> look look at all the videos when she's chatted to me in the past. And yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much. We loved having you on the show, and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Yes, and everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in for this week of the MLVC podcast. We'll be back in no time. And uh, absolutely, you can follow us on Instagram at MLVC Podcast. Also, uh, you can drop us a line. Uh, check out our internet uh, presence at www.mlbcpodcast.com and yeah you can listen to us on apple Podcasts, spotify luminary anywhere Anywhere that you hear podcasts exactly anywhere and everywhere we will be there so we'll see you guys and we'll talk to you soon see ya thank you